Welcome to the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, myself and Chris Bellamy had the opportunity to talk to Dewan Hill from Nashville Life Music. It is just really, really cool what they have going on over there. If you haven't listened to their stuff, make sure to go look them up. But man, I think you're going to be really blessed by a lot of the insight that Dewan brings to us in this episode. Here we go. Nashville Life Music is part of Nashville Life Church in Nashville. And uh, we've been in church for eight years. And Nashville Life Music is the worship team at the church. So we sing together every week. Um, we didn't start as an artist. Uh, we started as a worship team. So that's kind of the foundation of what we do. Um, everybody that's singing on the records or playing on the on most of the songs um, are members of our church or close friends of our church family. Um, and so all the songs you hear are for our church service, believe it or not. I know sometimes that sounds crazy based on, depending on what songs you may have heard, but we sing all of them at church. Um, wow. we, uh, I think there's only one song on the new record that we haven't done at church already, but everything else has been tested at church and people either love it and dance to it, um, immediately, or they kind of catch up over time. And sometimes they actually hate it <laughs> to, to kind of going back <laughs> on what you're saying before about pushing against the envelope. It's not a guaranteed, uh, hundred percent batting average, you know, sure. um, but the songs that get public are the ones that work. <laughs> that sure. work yeah. already. So uh, that's kind of the church service is has been our main motivation for writing songs. Yeah. I'd love to hear, too. You're saying sometimes they hate it. Is there, is there times? How do you know? Like, OK, you don't like it now, but we're going to continue with this versus like, OK, you're right. Yeah, we're going to yeah, put this yeah. one away. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's hard to discern between we don't we're not used to it. And we, we just don't like it. Um, and um, we have a very, very honest church family. Most of the people that go to church are either singers or musicians or no musician or singer or at least no good music. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of feel from the stage like, uh, they're not catching this as fast as, as we thought we would. Or we'll hear the next week like, hey, man, that song you all sang last week, it was really hard to sing those words of. Did y'all write that song? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, we kind of we kind of have ears on the ground that kind of help us stay stay grounded. Um, but most of the time, man, I would say seventy percent of the time it's a it's a B plus or higher. So sure. we're getting better at it. We're getting better. That's great. Um, for those of that are listening that might not know a whole lot about you guys, speak, speak a little bit just to the breadth of like um, inspiration and kind of musical styles you guys pull from and maybe a little bit on how you weave that all together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thanks to God and the grace of God, we're, um, uh, pretty much 50, 50 black, white church. Um, we have a few different generations in our church. We have people from all over the United States in our church, Nashville, obviously because of Belmont and Vanderbilt and Lipscomb, it's a college town. So people move to Nashville from everywhere. So, it's diverse in background, skin color, hair color, you know, and musical taste. And so yeah. I think that's why the music reflects the congregation, because people bring their experience to the church. And uh, I'm one of the leaders of the worship team, along with my friend Alvin, and our backgrounds are pretty diverse. I grew up in an all-black Pentecostal church, but went to an yeah. all, mostly all-white school. Um, then I came to Nashville, and I went to almost an all-black church and went to Belmont, which is majority white school. So I've kind of been back and forth a lot. And a lot of people in our church kind of have that same experience. So the music that you hear 
is really coming from that shared experience of um, yeah. either age range, um, cultural background, or sometimes even religious background. We have people that come from conservative church background. We have people that come from a Pentecostal background. We have people that come from a um, more liturgical Catholic background. So it's been it's been fun kind of having a melting pot of all those people. Yeah, very cool. What's your writing process like? Are, I'm assuming you have writers in your church. I mean, every mm -hmm. church in Nashville has writers that are in the industry, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah. are you are you doing a lot of collaboration? Do you, you know? Do you have some writers in your worship team? Yeah, yeah. On this new record, and actually, this record is the first time that we had a song that was co-written outside of the church. Here for Jesus, the title track was co-written yeah. by a friend of mine, Mitch Wong, who's a who's signed to Integrity's publishing team. Everything else is written in-house. Um, between Alvin and I, we write probably uh, maybe 80% of the songs, and then other songwriters in the church contribute songs as well. Um, I'm on staff at National Life, so my mind is kind of on songwriting all the time because mm -hmm. I'm always trying to find a great new song to sing at our church. So I, I end up writing a lot of them. Um, but I've hosted, especially during this quarantine time, I've hosted probably... 11 songwriting sessions for our team um, over Zoom and uh, just put two or three people in a room. Maybe two of the three have written before and the other person has, has never written a song before. So we're trying to build a culture where everybody has a voice in the songwriting process and anybody at any point, if their song kind of rises up to the top, could hear their song on Sunday morning, which is exciting to me, you know, because, yeah. you know, to me, that's a sure way to get a different voice in the songs and in the style of a worship song when it's not limited to one or two songwriters. Yeah. What's your personal uh, like approach with writing? Are you are you starting with piano or acoustic guitar, or are you starting with lyrics or production? Like, what what are you yeah. starting? Mostly, personally, I usually start with vibe, which sounds kind of weird, but I've I've kind of learned over the last couple of years that if I set the vibe either by tempo or by instrument or by um, drum loop, then to me, I've already won half the battle because I, I've started to kind of build a library in my, in my brain of, of things that I know are going to work, you know, um, either they work in church or there's like a dance song that works in that tempo, you know, or um, like in this record's case, like an Earth, Wind & Fire tune that's in that tempo. It's like, you know, um, a Stevie Wonder song in that tempo. We already know that that works for people to sing. Um, so I personally usually start there. I'm a piano player. So if it's not a vibe, it's a piano hook that I try to start with. Like Sing a Song started with me on an upright piano um, that I recorded pretty much the whole song, the verse and chorus were all done on my upright piano. And then I sent that to my friend Alvin, who heard a, a hook over top of that. And that's how we wrote, sing a song. We actually were never in the same room when we were writing mm -hmm. that song. It was kind of written over uh, voice memo on, your, on our iPhones. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, I try to, in my, in my mind, I try to imagine, will people be able to grab this from the first four to eight bars of the song um and if so then i have something that i think i can work with yeah. talk, talk a little bit you said you've done about 11 zoom songwriting calls in the span of this thing that's like mm -hmm. 
I'm sure there's people that are listening like, man, I can't even get two yeah. people together <laughs> to write a song once a year. Yeah. Maybe yeah. speak a little bit. How did you guys get that going to have just such a culture in your church yeah. for that? Well, it, it helps again that we have we have people in Nashville, some of which moved to Nashville to come do music, uh, but not sure. all, not everybody. Um, uh, there's a culture in our church that we try to encourage people um, to have a voice on the worship team, either as a musician or a singer or a lead vocalist or a songwriter. And uh, obviously, now that we're starting to record music, there's there's benefits to recording songs now. So that motivation is there. Yeah. Um, we also spread the publishing equally among everybody. Mm-hmm. So there's not like a hierarchy that I get more than someone else. Um, so it's we, we try to set the le- the playing field to be level so that when you start the songwriting session, it really is about the song and not about egos or royalties or anything like that. Sure. Um, but honestly, man, I've I've seen a lot of benefit in just setting up the Zoom call. You know, if, if people are having a hard time doing it, there's there's a lot to be said about just scheduling a, a right, you know, yeah. and, and not pressuring yourself to come out of the right. I, I did this for our Zoom calls. I said, hey, guys and ladies, if you guys, especially right now, if you guys connect with each other, you talk face to face, you pray with each other and you walk away with zero songs, that's a successful songwriting session because mm-hmm. songs are written by people and not robots, <laughs> you know, uh, right. people who are living and breathing and following the spirit. So um, on top of that, though, the hope is that they would start a song and, and try to execute something. And I'll say, man, everybody, every songwriting session that I set up walked away with at least 75% of a song. Some of them didn't finish it. Some of them are still working on it now, but everybody walked away with a theme, a chorus or a verse and was excited about what they did. And some of those people had never written songs before. Mm, that's so great. It's been fun to kind of help, help them learn how to do that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your musical background. Like what, what, what did you say? Play piano? When did you start playing? And yeah, what yeah. you learn? Yeah, like I said, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I'm a third generation pastor's kid, man. So yeah. I had to play, I had to either play or be an usher, man. It was my two, <laughs> there my, it is. My yeah. two choices. So I was like, I'm going to play. Um, I took piano lessons really young. I was in band and choir in high school. I went to Belmont University for music. Um, and now I'm the worship pastor at the church. I've toured with a lot of different artists and done a lot of producing and session work here in town. So I've been blessed to do music as a full-time career my whole life, which is, yeah. which is a miracle awesome. from God. Yeah. True. Yeah. How, when you're writing, like, specifically recently, like, are you... Um, how is like COVID, all of that, and then racial injustice, everything that's going around in the media, how is that affecting your writing? That's a great question, man. You know what? I just started writing um, again. I didn't do a lot of writing at the beginning of it. I think I was just trying to figure out, do I need to write songs or plant a garden? Like, which one should I be? <laughs> should I be planting potatoes in the backyard? I don't know what's going to happen, man. Um so I kind of took a break and just focused on family and and work for for that first couple months. But now that we've been back in somewhat of a regular schedule, I've been doing a couple songwriting sessions with my friend Paul Zach. He's from the band Porter's Gate. I don't know if you guys have heard about them, but they're really great, really great artists. And um, um, we've been writing over Zoom. We've done it probably three times. And we just wrote a song 
uh, last week called Blessed, parentheses, protest song. And uh, he came with a chorus, and the lyrics were, Blessed, blessed, blessed are the ones who seek justice, justice for every child of God. And it just struck me, man. The melody was really sweet, and um, we wrote it two weeks ago. Uh, we finished it in that songwriting session, and we just sang it last Sunday for the first time. Um, that's how fast I like to go, man. I don't like songs to sit around too long. I'm like, let's, let's figure it out if this song is good or not. And it was great, man. We sung it at church. It was a great reminder to me that music, and specifically worship music, can have different facets. You know, we sing about the fatherhood of God, and we sing about um, the holiness of God, but we don't really sing in church as much about things like justice and unity, and um, I think that's as much of a worship song as anything else. Um, so I kind of challenged myself to write a worship song that I could sing in church that was motivating people to fight for justice, and I think we, we got one that's pretty cool. So I would when say you, my songwriting has been kind of targeted recently to challenge myself to get out of the, the, the normal box. When you, fin when you finish like the service, like I know for, for us in our service, we've been talking about racial injustice. And yeah. immediately when the service ends, people want to come up and talk to either the pastor or the worship leader. <laughs> and uh, it's it's inspired some interesting conversations. Did you get anybody coming up to you right afterwards? I didn't. I didn't. But I think that's because we we had those conversations about a month and a half ago. Our, our pastor, our senior pastors are, are a black man and woman, Pastor Cece and Pastor Alvin. Um, and since our church is diverse, we've kind of been in the middle of that conversation for a while. Um, the only, Actually, I was probably thinking about it more than anybody else because because of our online service going to so many people, I was like, Lord, help me not to say something that's going to go viral, that's going to make our church look, look bad. Um, but internally to the church, there was a there was an openness, man. Um, and the song was based on Micah 6, 8, which is, you know, um, you know what God has required of you to walk humbly before your God, is to seek uh, justice and kindness. And I'm, I'm botching that verse, but something like that. Um, and people, people have heard that verse so many times and, and the lyrics of the song almost verbatim say that verse. Um, so I think, I think the communication has been open for a while. And I think more conversation is happening in the pew than at the pulpit, to be honest. I think more people are walking away, talking about it in their cars, in their homes, in their friends. I've, I've heard about people going on Instagram live after church and talking about what the church can do. I mean, it's been... It's been fruitful in a lot of ways. Yeah. What's your um, what's your service like right now with, you know, with quarantine and uh, are you at full capacity, fifty percent or? Yeah, we're we are not. We are um, we're still doing the online service in the morning, and then we've always had a two p.m. service in the afternoon. Um, thankfully, we don't have our own building right now. We rent a building in South Nashville that is huge. It seats like fifteen hundred people. So we're able to have one service where everybody spreads out. Um, so we're able to open it to the public right now because we get about between 100 and 110 people on a Sunday. And in that room, everyone could be spread out and still meet all the CDC guidelines. So that's been, that's been helpful for us to where we didn't have to really navigate having multiple services. Uh, we are wearing masks. Everyone, all volunteers are taking temperatures where they serve, and we're doing all that. But the service itself is open to everybody. 
When you, you said um, Pastor Cece, is that Cece Wannins? That's right. That's right. Okay. That's so right. Did, how did the church start and how did it, did she start the church? Yeah. So her son, Alvin, is uh, the executive pastor of the church. But he, he started inviting people to um, Pastor Cece and Alvin's house about nine years ago. Um, his life was transformed by the gospel, and he started inviting friends like me to the house. And we had this week-long intensive prayer meeting, which turned from 30 people to 80 people. And then once it got to 80 people, it was like, this is a church. <laughs> we can't stay in this house. And so the church has been around for eight years, and Pastor Alvin and Pastor Cece are the senior pastors of that church, National Life Church. Yeah. Do, yep. you, do you watch the show Songland? I have I have not been keeping up with it. I've seen maybe one or two episodes and some clips here and there. Because I know there was there was a couple that were related to the Winans, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, they probably was it Juan and Lisa. Maybe they're yeah. both phenomenal singers. though. yeah, yeah, no surprise there, no surprise there. But yeah, yeah, I think it was them that that was on there. That's cool. Does um. Does Cece Winans ever sing, or is she is she preaching, or what is she? She does, she does. It's so funny. Um, when we first started, I think people expected her to kind of be singing and preaching and passing out food and doing like she was the kind of the flagship of the church. But she hasn't been. She never really has been. I think she's kind of done that on purpose so that people will come to church for the right reasons. But pretty much every week after we do our music set. She's the person that is the host of the service, like welcomes people. Mm -hmm. And 90% of the time, she's, she continues whatever song we were singing, which I always say is not fair because I basically have to do all the work and like soften everybody up for her. And she gets up there and she's just like, just goes for it. But yeah, honestly, we always laugh about it because she could sing Mary Had a Little Lamb and it'd be an awesome service. You know, it was... She does not have to work at all. She's just so anointed and, and so full of God's spirit that is. I've learned so much from just watching her do that. So is, does she ever uh, critique like the vocalists or anything? Like, oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I can't imagine having to sing with her right there. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, man. I've been I've been under the gun for eight years, man. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's sweet about it. She's like she's like the mom of the church, you know. If somebody's outfit is not right, she'll say, hey, you might want to check that outfit or, you know, you know what? I don't know if I like that new song you guys did. But on the same token, she's very affirming, man. She'll she'll also call me after a worship set. She did this a couple of weeks ago and said, wow, the songs are amazing. You guys looked great. The spirit was moving, you know. So she's she's basically a coach, mom coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we benefit from that all the time. That's cool. Are you... When you guys play live, are you using tracks, stems, and stuff, or are you just all, all yeah. live? Yeah, yeah, we are. We um we use multi tracks a lot, and and loop community. We're kind of uh, I don't know if that's illegal to say, but we do. <laughs> we use both of them. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, they're both awesome. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah, we 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 rely on stems every Sunday because we don't have a huge group of guys playing, especially right now. Some guys have decided to stay home with their families. Mm -hmm. So normally we only have one keyboard player, one drummer and one bass player. Um, and we try to fill up, you know, the heavy guitar stuff with the pads with tracks. Um, uh, Multitracks has a great thing that I think the loop community, loop community has as well, where you can run a click and a pad at the same time. That's not form specific. 
yeah. which is sweet, man. I use that thing all the time because it fills up the sound, but allows us to track the click. Um, because a lot of times after the live service, which probably sounds okay live, doesn't sound okay for the online service. So because we can run to click, I can go back and do overdubs and kind of make the sound fuller for the online experience. So that helps yeah. us out a lot. How um, how involved are you in the production, like for your for your originals? Uh, very heavily. So this this every record I've been produced producing on, um, this most recent album that's coming out tomorrow was produced by myself, Alvin, and a friend of ours named Ben Shive. Um, who's produced Matt Kearney and many, many other artists you would recognize. So three of us produced the record. Um, and it's been fun, man. I, I kind of I get a front row seat because I see the songs start in a room with a couple songwriters and go all the way through being released on a label, which is always fun for me because it's kind of like seeing your babies being born. <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah. been good. It's been good. How heavy are you into like synths, software synths, plugins, and all that? You know what, man? I I need to be heavier in it. I I've always been a um, musician when it comes to that type of stuff, man. I I know enough to get around and produce some sounds, but I'm I'm the guy that rolls in with the piano sound and rocks that for an hour. Okay. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm that guy. I, I I lean on my other friends who are who are the opposite, who aren't really players, but can program sense for days and circles around me. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny, like, there's usually, like, either key, keys guys that are just super into just playing and or ones that are, like, really, like, have a huge yeah. setup and everything. Yeah, yeah. I wish. I wanted to get into that, man. But, like I said, I grew up in church. The church I grew up in, man, we had an organ and, and maybe a drummer. There was no such thing as tracks or bands or rehearsals man we showed up with the keyboard under our arms and just played <laughs> so i kind of came up in that i'm kind of still in that breed a little bit yeah what are you on a scale of like one to ten one being like uh basic major chords and minor chords and ten being like massive substitutions like how what what where do you guys lie on that spectrum that's a good question man i've never been asked that question um it's kind of a tough question because we, we usually sing one or two songs of our own every Sunday and then a pretty well-known cover. And normally the well-known covers are ones and twos. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're major chords in E or B or A. Um, and I have nothing against those. But because we do those, our originals tend to lean five, six. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're never over on, like, you know, major jazz chords. Um, but we do we do minor fives, minor fours. We do um, major threes, major twos. Those none of that is foreign to our church. Yeah. Um, but we try to spice it up to where it ends up being flavor instead of uh, foundation. You know. Um, are you are you doing it on the fly? Like, are you are you kind of doing it? Your bass players reacting to you, or are you guys pre plan it? We we pre we pre plan most of it. Um, Sometimes we'll go into you know what people call spontaneous, and we may we may do some of the other chords that have more color. Um, but honestly, our church is more singer based than musician based, if that makes sense. Like 
we could we could sing over the same chords for 30 minutes and nobody be mad at it you know mm -hmm. um, we're not the church that's got like this um band that's pushing the envelope every week in fact that's something i'm trying to work on over the next couple of months is i we focused on the singers for so long that i'm trying to i was watching a video on instagram a couple of nights ago i was like oh i can't wait for our band to do that they were doing like this crazy gospel arrangement and i was like oh i i just missed that so much but that those things don't lend themselves to the congregational setting as much but i'll say man it won't be long because i hear songs coming out of elevation that is tiptoeing on what i grew up hearing all the time yeah and, um, you know i think I, it won't be long before a lot of the things that were once considered outlawed progressions or drum fills or bass fills are going to be like the go-to things yeah, I look forward to those days. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. I think most people have. I don't think anybody has really said, like, we don't like gospel music. I just think some of the, maybe some of the gatekeepers, some of the songwriters that that have been writing songs maybe thought that people had to have a certain limitation on how they sing. But, man, I think about Stevie Wonder, and I think about Earth, Wind & Fire, and I think about I mean, just our favorite artists, man, people sing that stuff at weddings. If you go to any wedding, people are singing at the top of their lungs on these hard melodies. And I just think we may have lowered the threshold of what people can do in hopes of them that they that they sing along, which I agree with. We want people to sing along. But I don't people aren't as as limited as I think we've made them out to be. Yeah. Um, and when you go outside the church, you hear so much musicality and so much melody and so much arranging that I'm I'm looking forward to the day that I think is really soon where the church will again because it used to be the the headway of some of that creativity. That's cool. Do you guys have any horn players? We don't, not regularly. We have people who do play horns, but we don't staff them on a regular basis. Okay. Um, it was funny. We have horns on the record, and the and the one guy who's on the team that plays trombone brought it for the music video <laughs> but uh yeah not yet we hope to have a horn section one day nice sorry ryan i, I took over <laughs> go ahead <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear too as like a as a vocational worship pastor worship leader um maybe give us what's something you didn't expect before you were in full-time ministry for those guys that are like dreaming the 19 year olds like i just want to be a worship leader and a lot of times that turns into like that means i want to sing every week on a platform right, right. Like maybe maybe give a couple pitfalls or a couple like just reality checks for us right yeah yeah well like any job or like any dream the the grass is always greener on the other side and it looks like roses when you're on the outside of it and, and many days it is green and roses. Sure. Um, but planning center must be scheduled. You know, um, <laughs> volunteers must be managed. Um, there are so many times where I had the goal of having a full band on a Sunday, but couldn't do it because somebody was sick or somebody couldn't make it, especially now. Yeah. When someone says, I'm not coming to church because I have kids and I don't want them to get sick. I don't care how many new songs you have their life goes before the songs, you know? Um, so it is a pastoring role, even though people probably don't think of themselves as pastors that often. Um, it does take a pastoring heart to lead a worship team because yeah. you're not just trying to sing songs, you're trying to uh, pastor people. Yeah. So that, that's, 
that's not bad, but it is a challenge. Definitely a sure. challenge. Yeah. Um, and then I would say one of them is just the rotation of songs. I mean, if you think about it, guys, most artists are not expected to have a new set every week. Sure. You know, when you go on tour, you have 10 songs that are arranged and you do those same arrangements every night or at least some some variation. In church, you have to have a new, most people expect the worship leader to have perfected a new set list every week. New songs, <laughs> new arrangements. And that's a lot of pressure, man. It's a lot of pressure, especially when you start talking about online services and people all, all over the world listening to you. And, you know, now we have Instagram accounts that are looking for the worship leader fails and all that, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. You're just like, oh, right. I don't want to be a meme tomorrow. Right. Um, but I've had all that stuff happen. I've had my keyboard fall in the middle, multiple, twice I've had my keyboard fall while I was playing. It's yeah. the worst experience of my life. The worst. <laughs> Um, but that stuff builds you up, man. It, it makes you resilient. Basically, I'm I'm just fearless on stage. I, I could, the ceiling could fall in. I probably would be like, okay, guys, it's right. okay. Just move over to your right. <laughs> <laughs> has that has that always been the case for you? Like, have you ever dealt with stage fright, or maybe if you haven't, yeah. maybe? It's, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say stage fright. I, I I didn't grow up leading worship. Like I said, I grew up a musician. It wasn't until sure. National Life Church started that people, they needed someone to lead. And ironically, Pastor Cece was there. And I'm like, why are y'all wanting me to do it? She can just do this. But thankfully, she saw something in me that I didn't see. And so there are many days where I would get up to play. I was uncomfortable with my voice. I wasn't confident in singing. Still not as much as I want to be because I have so many great, better singers around me. Um, and I was nervous that I wasn't going to be able to meet the demand of that worship leader position. Um, but God's grace, man, and I don't say this to be trite, it really does carry you through those moments. And, and if you recognize your weakness and you ask God to help you and to give you the strength in that weakness, instead of pushing it aside and ignoring it, if you actually deal with it and say, I want to be a better singer, I want to be a better, um, I want to learn lyrics better, I want to pray or look at the teleprompter better. Um, yeah. You just got to practice those things and ask God to help you. And I've gotten more confident over the years in being kind of like you said at the beginning, instead of trying to be a Corey Asbury or a Brian Johnson or a Chris Brown from Elevation, I, I'll just never be those guys. Um, but they'll never be me. Yeah. I have a background and a musical taste that no one else has. And so I try to be, I try to be sure that, that when people – when I lead people into the presence of God, they get authenticity and honesty from me. And that, to me, led to more powerful worship experiences than even my musical ability could. Just showing up and, and being honest about my relationship with God has been really powerful. That's really good. What was your uh, major at Belmont? I was actually a music education major. I, was, okay. I, thought, I thought that I was going to be like a high school music teacher um i went back uh maybe four years after i graduated to get a master's in commercial songwriting um which is more in line with what i'm doing right now but i started as music education were you um were you thinking about being a band director or what, what were you going to do in high school i was probably leaning toward choir teacher i okay. really loved my choir in high school and um when i graduated from high school i was like that's what i want to do i get paid to teach music to kids that sounds really fun um 
now I'm, I would not want to do that. <laughs> uh, when I when I graduated from college, thankfully I got a job touring with with Johnny Lang like a month after I graduated, and I was with him for about eight years. Oh wow! So once I got that bug, man, and started playing music professionally, I was I was done. I was like, this is what I want to do. Were you his keys player? Or you were, you were singing? Yep, I was doing both. Okay. I was, I was playing organ, piano, and singing for him. Um, it was a, it was a crazy story, man. I actually applied to grad school after I graduated from Belmont. I actually helped a couple guys get into grad school, but I didn't get into the school. And I was crushed, man. I was crushed. I I had never been rejected like that before. And I thought I was done. And um, uh, maybe like two or three weeks later, I played a show that Johnny was at. Um, I didn't know that he was watching the show. And he said that God told him while I was playing that I was his new keyboard player. And uh, I met him a couple weeks later and I was I, I played for eight years. So I always tell that story because I, I encourage people and, and new friends that many times rejection in one door means an opportunity somewhere else. And uh, if your identity is wrapped up in that one opportunity that you thought you were going to be doing, then you can be really disappointed many times in your life. But man, following Jesus and trusting that he has a plan for your life really does open doors that you couldn't even imagine. I never imagined that I would be working for CC Winans or Johnny Lang and all these other artists. It just, I thought that was so far. And I thought the way, if I was going to do it, it would be going to LA grad school at this school I wanted to go to. And God did it without that. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Memphis, mostly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was in a city called Carryville, Tennessee. I went to high school there. And, um, so I, when I moved to Nashville, I, I didn't move that far from home. Did you move to Nashville first and then get in the industry? Or did you get in the industry and then it brought you to Nashville? I moved to Nashville to go to Belmont, which is the school here. Oh, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah. So I moved here in 2004 and uh, been here ever since. And it, it was... It was God's plan, man, because I met my wife here. I got, I got two kids now, and I would not have been in this place had I moved to L.A. back then. So it's just a testimony of God knows what's best, man. He knows, knows exactly where we need to be. Even if we're sad for one opportunity, God has something great down the road. Were you, was Belmont your first choice, or were you looking at any other schools? You know what, man? That's another cool story. I... Many people have this story about Belmont and Nashville. I visited Nashville probably my junior year, and I drove by Belmont, and I just knew. It's one of the few times in my life where I knew something. I knew that I was moving to Nashville to go to Belmont. I, I only applied to Vanderbilt because I wanted. if I didn't get into Belmont, I would go to Vanderbilt for a year and come back to Belmont. <laughs> come back to Belmont. So I didn't apply to any other schools. Um, and God opened the door at Belmont, man. I was able to get a full scholarship. I didn't pay a dime at that school. I walked out of that school debt-free. So I knew it was God's will for me to be there. My brother, Marcus, who's a great drummer, went there as well. And a few years after that is how National Life got started. So it's been, a, it's been a divine trip the whole way, man. It's been a divine trip. That's cool. Um, last question I got for you. Um, when, you're, when you're organizing your vocalists, um, how are you, um, 
dispersing the parts? Or are you pre-planning? Are people kind of free? Or are you sending out, like, this is your part? Like, this is what you're going to sing on Sunday? Like, how do you guys arrange that? That's a great question, man. Um, generally speaking, all the singers on the team sing the same part every week. Sometimes there are some sopranos and altos that could do the other part. Um, but the the lady who does our team schedule and Kim, oh man, what a I could send her cookies every day, man. I mean, it's just like so I'm so grateful she does that for me. Um, but she on planning center has two sopranos, two altos, two tenors scheduled every week if we can. Um, so people listen to planning center songs and they listen to it based on what they're scheduled to sing. And then we show up on Sunday and rehearse those parts and 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 lead from there. So they show up pretty much knowing I usually have to kind of maybe move some people around depending on if we have a stronger singer or if someone needs to lead a song and they're on soprano, we have to shuffle a little bit. But for the most part, people know what what they have going on when they get there. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Man, what a fun conversation. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man thank you guys you. are asking great questions. <laughs> thank you so much for yeah, giving us a little slice of your time. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah we'll have to... Um, We'll have to check it out. Ryan and I are in Nashville a lot. His brother uh, is on staff at Belonging, and then the producer oh, cool. I work for is in Nashville. Cool. Um, and so, like, we're yeah, we were just there like a week and a half ago. And awesome, man. We'll definitely come ch have check it out. Yeah, yeah, come hang out, man. Come hang out, and we do the online service every week. Um, so you can go to the National Life Church Facebook or Instagram page to to listen yeah. to the service. Um, of course, the record comes out tomorrow. So hope sure. you guys like that, man. It's not going to be your typical worship record. I'm just warning yeah. you. Yeah. Well, like I said, I started diving. Like, I've, I've heard of your church. Like, I've heard the name. Like, I just I hadn't dove into your guys' music till, you know, we were setting up this interview. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is fun. Like, I appreciate the different. Like you say, everybody's just, it's all this, been the same. And there's, like, there's little pockets of noon coming, which is mm -hmm. really fun for, you know, having been in worship ministry myself for 15, 20 years. Wow. It's, not, it's nice to do some fresh stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I think it's time. And it's we don't want to come, come across as like the new people pushing out the old people. I mean, sure. Our, right. our heritage and our we sing. We sung One Thing Remains. Sunday. I mean, yeah. like it's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. So, I mean, we, we support those songs. We love them. We sing them every week. At the yeah. same time, we want to encourage songwriters and worship leaders that there probably is a song in their heart that would bless their church, even if it was never recorded or released or promoted outside of their 100, 500, 5,000 member church. No one knows that culture like the people who are in the church. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just encourage, even if, if people have not written songs before, they're nervous about writing them and haven't tried them out, you'd be surprised how much grace, hopefully, your congregation will give you when you say, hey, guys, God gave me this song last night. It's just a little chorus. Let's try singing this. And yeah. it's so, I mean, hearing your song sung back to you by your church is one of the most fulfilling things you could ever hear. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. If you could do us a favor, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or on YouTube. Go ahead and like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps us out. It helps us get the word out. Thank you guys for those of you that are so faithful in listening and watching this podcast. We love you guys.